I don't want to take up too much time. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, so in this stead, uh, PD's asked me to uh, bring forth the word this morning. Um, so I ask that you guys turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, just bear with me. I thought I had my physical Bible with me, but I think I left it. Uh, so I'll be flipping back between this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When you have it, say amen and stand, please. Second Corinthians chapter 4. As a matter of fact, let's go. To, I'm going to read one verse, and then for the sermon, I'll do it. But um, Second Corinthians chapter 5, actually. Let's uh, skip to the next chapter. It's chapter 5, verse 7. Very familiar verse, very short verse. When you have it, say amen. amen. Um, at this time, let's say happy birthday to Frank. Frank is 25 years old today, so yeah, man, he's done a lot for his life in 25 years. <laughs> uh, so we definitely we want to uh, celebrate that, definitely. Um, we have it, please stand and say amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Very familiar verse, like I said. It's very short. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Amen. Amen. By heads and prayer, Lord, we thank you. We honor you and we love you. Um, you are worthy, you are amazing, you are great, and we pour out our praise to you only, Lord, uh, for only you deserve it, only you are worthy of our praise, Lord, and we're not even worthy to give you praise, but you make us worthy through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, as um, we go into your word, Lord, uh, let me decrease as you increase, Lord, let the words out of my mouth uh, be not contrary to your word. Um, let me simply echo what you've already said. Let me not fill in blanks where you've intentionally left blank, Lord. Uh, we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You may be seated. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7 is, like I said, is a very familiar fate, uh, verse. Um, you know, a lot of times when we go through issues and, you know, somebody says, reminds us to walk by faith and not by sight. You know, that we, we walk in faith. You know, we're, we're, we have churches and we have ministries built on faith. Um, a lot of people are very, uh, very concentrated when you talk about the topics as far as sermon topics. Preachers, they preach a lot on faith. Having faith in the midst of trouble, have faith. In the midst of trials, have faith. In the midst of, of opposition, have faith. When you don't have, have faith. Um, and I think sometimes we talk a lot about things, but we, we talk about having things or what to do with things, but we necessarily don't take time to really define what that thing is. Um, if I was, and this is me personally, if I was somebody who had not grown up in the church, it would seem to me from a lot of the sermons that I've heard, not everyone, but um, faith is just kind of like a fake it till you make it thing. Um, you know, when you, you know, when you, when you're broke, act like you got money. You know, you've heard, people have said that when you, when you're down, act like you're up. You know, when you, when you don't want to smile, act like you want to smile. Um, but I believe that there's something more substantial, something more uh, tangible when it comes to faith. I don't think that as believers that it's something to act like, but it's something that we know, and because of our knowledge, we act in that, in that way. So there's something substantial. It's not just that we're playing a part, but we realize the truth, and based off of that truth, our actions change. Are you with me? Um, when we hear about walking in faith, a lot of times it's presented as walking through life, making decisions with no basis, simply because of a feeling. 
Many have used this as an excuse to allow emotions to run their lives. Many even cover up their own motives by signing God's name and claiming God told them such and such to do what they really just have a strong desire to do. This is not what we're called to do, nor is it the context in which Paul tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. What does Paul really mean then? What is he talking about? We must read the words leading up to this verse. A lot of times we take a verse and, and we take it out of, um, out of context. And in this situation, um, if you've ever found out anything about how the Bible was, was constructed, um, in the beginning the Bible didn't have chapters and verses. Um, there were just letters written out. And so what happened was, you know, people who felt like it was easier to remember, even now we use the, the benefits of those to remember verses, memory verses. They ch split them up into chapters and split them up into verses. Um, I don't know uh, how many of you were here when we went through 1 Corinthians. Um, some of the chapters we even realized were like maybe a, a series of three chapters. I remember Cleavon had preached one. I believe it was uh, 8, 9, and 10. Cleavon preached one, PD preached one, and I preached one. And as I was studying for the last, for the third out of the three, I realized that all three were all connected. Um, that eight was explaining something, and then chapter nine kind of stepped back in order to give, Paul was giving an example, and then chapter 10, he went back to what he was talking about in chapter eight. And so eight, nine, and 10 coupled pretty much as one point. Um, and so I bring that up to say um, that the basis of chapter five, verse seven, uh, doesn't just lie in the six verses before it, but it lies all the way from chapter 4. Um, so we're going to go with, in our Bibles to chapter 4, verse 7, to see what, what led Paul to this point of saying that we walk by faith and not by sight. It says in verse 7, Now we have this treasure in clay jars, so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are pressured in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are always given over to death because of Jesus so that, the Jesus, just that Jesus' life may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith in keeping with what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us, will raise us also with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that, so that grace extended through more and more people may cause thanksgiving to increase to God's glory. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if our temporary earthly, earthly dwelling, this is 5 verse 1, for we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven, since we, when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the spirit as a down payment. Verse 6, so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And then verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. 
So we see here that Paul is encouraging those who are being persecuted and not necessarily living the good life after conversion. You know, everybody knows, should know this, that just because we accept Christ doesn't mean that everything is peachy keen in our lives. It doesn't shift everything to being, you know, sunny days and, you know, Big Bird is, is waiting for you every, every day when you wake up. The sun is smiling at you like the Jim Bean commercials, you know. Just like everything is supposed to be all, you know, lighted up and... It's not like that. As a matter of fact, in those days, life got worse for these people when they accepted Christ. Because now they were a target for persecution. Now they were a target to be put to death. When you were of what they called back then the way, which is what we call Christianity now, when you said you believed in Christ, that was you were putting a target on your head. You know, there were people walking or driving. You know, this person is even writing this, 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 uh, this, this letter, Paul was of those people who were seeking out those who believed this Jesus Christ in order that he may put them to death. As a matter of fact, if you remember Paul's conversion letter, he was on his way to Damascus with papers allowing him to gather these people up who were believing in Christ and to put them to death. So it wasn't just a feel-good moment to just say, hey, you know, this Jesus thing sounds good. I'm just going to go and follow it. But it was, it was a cost to it. And that's why Jesus says to count the cost. You know, a king doesn't hear of a war and just immediately just puts his army out to war, but he counts the cause. Is it worth me going to fight these people? And if not, then let me set up this peace treaty or let us surrender. And if it is, then I'll fight. But he takes the time to count the cause. We here, you know, especially in the Western, in the Western Hemisphere, it's very easy. You know, we come to church, we come to this gathering on a Sunday morning, the, pre, the, the sermon is good, and, you know, it sounds great, and it applies to our lives, and so we just walk up to the altar at the end of the service. If they have an altar call, and, we, you know, they pray for us, and we accept Christ, and we, live, we walk away, you know, scot-free. We may get some people giving us side eyes, but we, we live on the side of the earth where the other side of the earth, when even in this time, in 2015, when they go and accept Christ, first of all, when they have church, church is hidden. You know, you go to China and different places in Asia where church has to be secret. No one can know you're going to church because they come to church. The authorities, not just people that just want to do bad on their own, but the authorities come in and shut it down. And so you have that to be in the place already is, is a risk. And then to now say that you yourself is a believer of Christ, you're putting a target on your head. People have been disowned by their families because of, of Christ. People have been sought out for death because of Christ. You know, you know even <laughs> let's even bring it back to America where we have these instances at, point, at some points where in Columbine, you know, the, the, the two shooters in the school Put their, you know, I forgot the name of the two girls, but they, they put guns to their head and said, do you believe in Jesus? And boldly, they proclaimed their belief in Jesus Christ and they took their death. But let me tell you that they're in a better place than we are. We don't, we don't have sorrow for them. We are glad and we rejoice because now they're with their maker. You know, you know it, 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 Christian, and I know I'm going off on, on a little bit of a tangent, but we may, it might pull right back to what we're talking about. But as believers, when we truly understand what we have as believers and where we stand as believers, death is no longer a threat for us. Are y'all with me? When we have a, a loved one or someone that we, that we know that passed away, yes, we grieve. Yes, we mourn. But we don't grieve as though, and if they're a believer, we don't grieve as though they're in a bad place as if they're in a worse off position than where they are. As a matter of fact, us as believers, we groan and wait for the time that we can be in the same place that they are. That's why Paul says in Philippians, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Y'all see, he said, listen, now, while I'm here, I'm going to do everything for Christ. I'm going to live for Christ. But let me tell you, I'm waiting for the day that I can leave this earth and be with my father. Death has changed its definition when we become a believer. Death has now submitted to us as a doorman. Death is no longer a threat to us. Death is no longer this grim reaper in this hood and his, his scythe coming here to scare us. But death has now submitted to us because of the power of Christ on the cross and now stands at the door and says, here's what you've been waiting for. Death now works for us because of Christ. We are no longer to be afraid of death. Now, I'm not saying to go crazy and do crazy stuff in order to get there. But what I'm saying is have the same standpoint as Paul is that while you're living, you live for Christ. And when you die, you die to see Christ. Our lives should be, should be enveloped in, in that. And so I'm um, bringing it back, you know, the rabbit trail like PD was talking about. We caught the rabbit. Let's come back. Um, and so, you know, these people, you know, these people that were necess not necessarily ha living the good life after the conversion. And he talks about our bodies being beaten, but we cannot be destroyed. The gospel, and going back to chapter 4, we're going to go kind of verse by verse. Going back to chapter 4, Paul is talking about in chapter 7, he says, Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. This treasure, the gospel is a treasure and our mortal bodies are the clay. The gospel brings value, but we have not been lifted out of our ordinary, ordinary human life. We still have the physical weakness of our mortal bodies. So imagine this. He's saying that we have treasures in these clay jars. So the jars are still clay. The jars have not transformed into rubies and, 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 and gold and silver and these, these, these jewels. It's still clay. It's still mud. But what's inside of it has added value to the clay jar. Are y'all with me? If I have a clay jar that's empty versus a clay jar that has this treasure in it, I'm going to charge you more for this clay jar and the treasure. Not because the clay jar is different from this clay jar, but what's inside this clay jar is more valuable than that one. So when we come as believers, we still have these mortal bodies to deal with, but the treasure that has been put in us has made us more valuable. All right. So he says that in, in, in verse uh, 7, so that, you know, now we have this treasure in clay jar so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. Verse 8. He goes into this series of, of, of extremes and he goes, we are pressured in every way, but not crushed. Paul shows that what he means, uh, to, to go into this uh, series of verses from verse 8 to 10, Paul shows what he means by using a series of examples to show what he and fellow ministers were going through. In each pair of words, as we, as we go through this, and if anybody knows the Corinthian song, um, this is where it's coming from, uh, that we, what he and fellow ministers were going through, in each pair, the first word was what occurred to them as jars of clay, and the second demonstrated God's power, which is the treasure, in them by sustaining them through the hardships. Are you with me? So in verse 8, we see we are pressured in every way, but not crushed. So we see pressured or, or hard-pressed, but the, the, the negative of it is that we're not crushed. To be hard-pressed or afflicted is to be troubled from without, from without by physical or psychological difficulties. While Paul and fellow ministers endured many afflictions, they were not crushed or overcome by those afflictions. So Paul was going through physical beatings. In, in the book of Acts, there's a time where, you, listen, I'm a believer, I love Jesus, but it's still crazy to me that they were beaten almost to death, and they said that they got up, dusted off their robes, and went on rejoicing that they may be counted worthy to suffer for Christ. 
The only way that they can have this joy, again, they're not faking it till they make it. They're not acting like everything's good, but they know the truth and that they are counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And they can go out with a genuine smile on their face, rejoicing. So he says that he's hard, we're hard pressed, but not crushed. The next one is perplexed in verse nine. We are, are no, no, verse eight still, the, the B portion. We are perplexed but not in despair. To be perplexed is to be in a state of confusion and discouragement because of afflictions and troubles. A lot of times afflictions and troubles come and it's not even just the afflictions of it, but it's the effects of it. You know, somebody may do you wrong. It's not just the fact that what they did wrong to you, but the fact that you of all people did it. I would never, you know, there's even a psalm, I wish I could remember it and I go, where David writes a song based off of that. He says, I would expect this from an enemy, but a friend? So there are some afflictions that come across to us and it leaves us perplexed. And so it says to be in a state of confusion and discouragement because of afflictions and troubles. To be perplexed and to be in despair may seem the same on their own, but when contrasted, despair is more narrow. To be in despair in this context means to be in utter despair, lacking all hope or positive counterbalance. Now, like I said, trouble comes and there are times when we are dealing with the effect of the affliction but we are not like those without hope. Um, I remember, if, if I may, um, when we had the memorial service for, for Brother Daniel, and, I, and you know, when I was up there and I, I told him, listen, we can, we can be in sorrow, we can grieve, that, that's normal. You know, the emotions that we are, have are God-given, but remember that the emotions are here to inform you, not to direct you. Are you with me? So when you're sad, you know, you can cry, you, you, can, you can mourn, but it doesn't, you don't sit in that, in that sadness. You don't sit in that despair. When you're angry, you know, let's go to that. When you're angry, just because you're angry doesn't mean that you react in anger. The anger informs you that something has happened to offend you, but then you have the choice to make a decision based off of that. So remember, your emotions are here to inform you, but don't let it direct you. And so the afflictions that may come may leave us perplexed, but we as believers, we have a hope. Our hope is in Christ. So we can't be like those without despair. Unbelievers who don't have their hope in Christ, there's nowhere for them to go. But we as believers, what we know, we know we have Christ as our anchor. We know we have God at, uh, that has our back. And this is the truth. This is where our faith comes from. Our faith doesn't just come from, well, I'm supposed to be happy. And everybody expects me to smile. And I, I'm a Christian. And I go to church. With, I go to work with, with, with unbelievers. And, you know, you may go to church with unbelievers. But, you, you know, you may, you know, hey, listen, the church is open. That wasn't even a joke. The church, is, <laughs> the church is open. We may be sitting next to unbelievers. But we are amongst unbelievers. And so we have to kind of put on this gimmick in order to make everybody think everything's okay while we're crying and we're crushed inside. But what, that's not what we're calling to do to act like you're happy but to know the reason why you should be happy i mean let's let's, let's knock out even happy because happy is based off of what happens we we have to remember why we should have our joy that joy that withstands through trials you know uh, 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 i believe i count it as joy when you go through diverse trials in james chapter one He's not saying after you go through trials, when you realize what it means, when you realize why it makes sense and why God put you. No, no. He said while you're going through trials, count it joy. Because you're going through trials not on your own, but God has your back. God's got you and you're not in despair. So, so he, he's saying that we're perplexed, but not in despair. Um, the third set in, in chapter, chapter 9 says we're persecuted, but not abandoned. To be persecuted meant to be hunted down or chased by others. Let me tell you, they were hunted down and chased by others in their time. 
Paul knew what it meant to be hunted down. Can you imagine you were part of the group that was persecuting these people, and all of a sudden you switch teams? People know his whereabouts. People know his tendencies. And now that he's part of the enemy, there are people that have intel on him that are seeking him. I remember, um, as a matter of fact, it's in the scriptures. I forgot where. But I remember watching even the movie, the depiction of the book of Acts. And at one point, it was so bad that Paul, they had to put Paul in a basket and drag him down the building to get away from people that were after him. So he knew what it meant to be chased down. You know, we, like I said, we're here, and I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm not praying that tomorrow it starts being another way. But we have been spoiled here. You know, we, like I said, we could come out of church. People say, where, where were you doing Sunday morning? I was at church. Oh, all right, cool. That's cool. That's nice. Whatever. All right, cool. Hey, what you doing tomorrow? And it's just a, it's just a mode of conversation. But, to, but these were times where if you say that you were part of the church, again, you had a red dot on your forehead now. So you were persecuted, um, um, but not abandoned. This was what was going on in Paul's time. Yet Paul knew that God never left them alone. He was with them through it all. So again, Paul can walk confident, not because he had to act confident, because he knew the God and he had confidence in the God who had him and had his back, that he was not abandoned by. The last pair of words says, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul here was most likely using a wrestling type of metaphor where one is thrown down to the floor. As this is a setback for a wrestler, Paul and his ministers experienced setbacks in ministry, but yet they knew they were not destroyed and they'd be victorious over their foes. There are times when, you know, and, and even when you, again, when you read the book of Acts and you read the, you know, the, the disciples, there were times that they hit setbacks where, you know, something may happen in the town and they couldn't preach anymore. Even when Jesus was around, there were times when, you know, people were, you know, like one time I think he healed, um, he healed the blind man and he told him not to say anything. And so he went and he went and told everybody, of course, you know, he's overexcited. And so now because of that, Jesus could not preach where he was anymore. So there's, there's certain setbacks where even now when we're talking about the apostles, there, was, there, were, there were times like, for instance, when Stephen was, 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 was uh, killed. But yet they were struck down but not destroyed. And you see the effect of Stephen being killed was now that the disciples were dispersed and now into all the world. And they were able to preach the gospel in different nations because they were all concentrated in one place until when Stephen was, 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 uh, was, um, was executed. And so there were times where they were struck down, but they were not destroyed. So there are times where we hit rock bottom. But guess what? You're not staying there. And it's not because you have to act like you're good when you're on rock bottom, but because the God that sees you and is with you when, when you're on rock bottom is the same God that's going to pick you up. Isaiah says that his arm is not too short to reach you. God's got your back. And so it's based off of this that Paul can walk confidently and continue doing the things that, he, that he's doing. Paul brings purpose to the suffering in letting it be known that the suffering, the afflictions, the trials, and the tribulations are the cost of bringing glory to God. Uh, Verse 16 to 18. Let's get down there. It says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Three things occur in this passage. The observation is in verse 16, the realization is in 17, and the application is in 18. 
So the observation is that this, therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Paul in verse 16 states the two converse yet simultaneous processes going on in him and all believers. Our outer person is being wasted away while our inner person is being renewed day by day. You know, every day, you know, as grim as it sounds, every day we wake up is a day closer to the grave. It's a reality. Every day we wake up, our bodies don't get better and better as we get older. Our bodies get worse and worse. But Paul is saying at the same time that our outer bodies are wasting away, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And what Paul is trying to get these people, these Corinthians, to realize is that we should be focused on the inner man rather than the outer body. Because the outer body is going to waste away. Why put everything that you have into the outer body? And, and I'm not saying not to work out and all that stuff. And, you know, Brian would say he probably had jokes for that statement I just said. But I'm not saying that. But people that focus on that and neglect the inner man, you're wasting your time. No matter how fit you may be now, at some point, all that's going to be lost. And what you're going to be left with is the inner man, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Because guess what? When you're unbeliever and you keep working on this outer body and you don't work on this inner man, guess what? You're going to have to deal with the inner man because when now that outer body is shed and that weak inner man is there, the one that has no Christ, you're going to be left to deal with the place with no Christ, to be real. But Paul is trying to get these Corinthian people, listen, listen, I understand, but this outer body is wasting. Listen, we've been perplexed, we've been beaten, we've been bruised, we've been constantly insulted. But guess what? I'm not worried about that because they're attacking the outer body. As long as the inner man is being restored, I'm good. So he says, um, so every day is a day closer to our deaths. Not only that, but we deal with afflictions of the physical, emotional, and psychological variety that wear our bodies down. Yet in the midst of all this, our inner man is being renewed every day. Although the jars of clay decay, the treasure inside is made more precious day by day. This is where walking by faith and not by sight begins to take its place. We as believers through our knowledge of Christ and his truth know that it is what's eternal that is important. In this case, what's important is our inner person. So we live our lives with that in mind. This is why we are called not to store our treasures on his earth. Matthew 6, verse 19, it says, Do not store your treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy and thieves come in and steal, but store your, tre- store your treasures up in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and no thief can come in and steal. But Jesus was trying to get them in the mindset, listen, it's not about what's going on here. All this stuff here is going to pass away. Stop storing everything that you have for here because it's going to go away. Nobody goes out of this earth with everything that they had in this earth. Even if you put the money, the, the, the cars, and somehow bury them with it, they're not going to enjoy it after this earth. So what Jesus and now Paul is echoing is saying, stop storing your treasures on these earthly things, but rather store it for the eternal. We're also called to set our eyes on eternal things. Colossians um, 3 and, um, and 2 Corinthians 4.18 constantly tells us to set our eyes, to fix our eyes on eternal things and not on these temporary things. Paul says to the Corinthians that he did to the, that like he did to the Romans, that the afflictions we endure here are nothing in comparison to the blessings we receive in the next life. Romans 8.18 says, for I consider that the present sufferings are nothing in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us. Let, let's, let's start to get the groundwork of where I'm going now. I've, I've heard it said... and. I, Let's, let's get where Paul is trying to say, and we're going to see this more, more as we go on. Paul is not talking about, you know, your present sufferings in this season of your life 
and your glory later on. And I'm not saying that things are not going to get better. That's not, I'm not saying that. There's, that. That there's no hope of things getting better. But what Paul was trying to get these people to fix in, in the book of Corinthians and the book of Romans, was the glory that will be revealed to us when Christ returns. As believers, you know, and, and our, our mission statement, everybody remember our mission statement? We are preparing people for eternity. Not preparing people for better lives here. I mean, that we're, we are doing those things. But our, our main mission is preparing people for eternity. Now, under that, you know, while we're here, you know, we got our brother Greg who's good in finances. Get your finance right. We got our brother uh, Brian who's going to get your fit, fit right. All that is great. That, like I said, it's great. But our main mission, even through it all, is to prepare people for eternity. As believers, eternity must be on our mind 24-7. That's what affects what we do. And not to say that, you know, if I do this, I'm not going to get into heaven. We know that we have a secure, a secure faith in Jesus Christ because of the sacrifice on the cross. But we remember the God that we will see in eternity. And that's what halts us because of our love for this God that we will spend eternity with. I won't do that. You know, I'm not going to put my heart into this thing because guess what? My heart needs to be in eternal things. I remember uh, back when I was at Rutgers, I had the opportunity to join this organization, and um, what stopped me was, you know, it, you know, the whole process to, to join the organization was a very strenuous process. And what I realized was, and I had to check myself, I said, the stuff that I would have to go through to join this organization versus what I've done so far for Christ, it would way outweigh it for this organization and for Christ. And I had to check myself, and I said, there's no way I'm going to serve and, and submit myself to man more than I do to Christ, in my position personally. And I knew that I was not in a position to join any organization like that because I knew when I outweighed it, I knew I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing for God. And for me to turn around and give my all for people, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense. And so we set our eyes on, on eternity. Um, so us as believers, we have to have eternity in mind. And that's what is our basis for when we go through trials and troubles we can go with a smile because guess what? This is not our home. You know what I mean? If you're renting a place and guess what? The walls start cracking. You know, you start hearing creaks in the windows. You're not going to call any repair, man. I'm only here for like two more days. I'm good. You got a rental car. It started acting, uh, ah, I'm returning tomorrow. But if it's your car, your house, you're going to make sure it's ready. Well, Jesus said that he went to prepare a house for us. And so we are to keep in mind that house that we are going into. This house that we have, this tents that we live in are temporary. And we're going to get, get to that too. I'm a little bit ahead. But, but we, we're not to fix our minds on the temporary things because guess what? They will go. But us as believers, we have to have eternity in our mindset. But the problem is and what our, our struggle is is that we're still here. Simply, simply said, we're still here. In the midst of having thinking about eternity, Alan, I understand, but guess what? Tomorrow morning, I got to go to work. Tomorrow morning, they're going to be mailing those bills to me, and I got to get them paid. Tomorrow morning, I got to deal with that boss or that friend or that person that I see that constantly get on my nerves. I understand what you're saying with fixing eternity, but how do I weigh this? And so, you know me in analogies. The way that we, the way that, I'm going to use this illustration. Hopefully, I say it right because I kind of made it up on a whim. But, uh, Imagine, you remember Blockbuster? Anybody remember Blockbuster? Yeah. Anybody remember? I remember Blockbuster. Uh, Ian might not never know what Blockbuster is. Um, but Blockbuster was the it place. I remember when I was younger, even for video games, 
My mom didn't want to buy the video game. I go to Blockbuster and rent it for a couple of days and play it. Try to beat it in three days, stay up all night, even though I had school the next morning. But Blockbuster was the place to go. When movies first came out on tape, you knew you didn't want to buy it or you wasn't a buying type of person, but you wanted to see the movie, go to Blockbuster, rent it for three days, and then bring it back. Because if you don't bring it back, then the late fee. But yeah, Blockbuster was it. But nowadays, Blockbuster is nowhere. Netflix has taken over Blockbuster. Do you know that the owner of Blockbuster had a chance to invest in Netflix? Do you know he had a chance to invest in Netflix? And when he heard it, ah, that would never work. But little did he know years later that Netflix would take over his business. But imagine you working for Blockbuster, right? And you had a friend that said, listen, I got this new idea. You're talking about these late fees and, and you know, you had to go to the store to get this. I had this new idea that I'm working on. It's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. But I'm working on this idea where, you know, you stream it right from your house. You just pay this monthly fee, no late fees. And if you want DVDs, we mail it to you so you don't have to leave your house at all. And you can keep it as long as you want. Then when you're ready for the next one, you just put it right back in the mail. You don't have to pay for stamps or anything. But it's not ready yet. I had this idea. But I just need you. Can you keep, just invest in it and just stay where you are? Stay working for Blockbuster. But just have in mind, when, you're done, when Blockbuster shuts down, you got a place here in Netflix. So now you as an employee of Blockbuster, you invest into Netflix. And all of a sudden, the years start going by, and Blockbuster sales start going down. And everybody that's sitting next to you at work is in despair. Remember, perplexed, but not in despair. So they're in despair. You're at your job, so you may be a little perplexed. Because now the money that you were, you know, the commission that you was making is not making as much because Blockbuster's not selling as much. But guess what? You have an anchor because you know that even when Blockbuster shuts down, you have an investment in Netflix. And you know the truth in Netflix, and you know the success that's coming from Netflix. And so now, as Blockbuster sales continue to plummet, and everybody's in despair, everybody's trying to figure out, yo, I got to get a new job. Yo, Alan, like, why you, why you seem like you're calm? I'm good. I got something set up. And so everybody's going now. Now Blockbuster shut down. And everybody's out there on the streets. They're trying to figure out how to make ends meet. And now you go right over to your Netflix investment. And now you embark on what you've invested before. We as believers, we're on this earth. We're still in Blockbuster. But Jesus has come, and he's asked us to invest in his Netflix. And so Jesus says, listen, it's not ready yet. I go to prepare it for you, but you still got to stay through Blockbuster. You still got to be a good steward while you're in Blockbuster. Don't start acting up all because you got this investment in Netflix. Don't start acting like you the man. Keep working and keep being loyal, to loyal in a sense. Let's, let's work this analogy. Let's, but we, we're not loyal to the world and systems. But what I'm saying is you still be a good steward in, in Blockbuster. But just know, don't live for Blockbuster because Blockbusters will one day shut down. I'm telling you this. This Netflix thing is going to work. Guaranteed. And so now you're in Blockbuster, and so we're still on this earth. We're still dealing with these jars of clay, but guess what we have in mind? That we have an investment in this Netflix. Are y'all with me? We have this investment in eternity. So guess what? When stuff goes down, when 9-11 hits, guess what? We got together and we prayed and we rejoiced, not because we were happy it happened, but because we know the God behind it all. And so we know that even if something were to happen to us here in Piscataway right now, we as believers have an assurance that we will see our maker. Amen. So guess what? This world may crash down. I may hear on news left and right wars and rumors of wars. I may hear famines and floods and tsunamis and all of this. But guess what? I know that even if death encounters me here, it's only going to be an express trip to see my maker. A lot of us are so stuck in Blockbuster 
A lot of us, even who have made investments in Netflix, you're still, in a way, without intentionally doing you're doubting Netflix's success. Let's be real. We know, we read, we know there's eternity. We know that we have assurance in Christ, but the way that we live and the way that we function doesn't show it. When we get hit with stuff, it's as if we have no hope. And I start to wonder sometimes, do you have Christ? How can you say that you know the captain when you can't withstand the waves? There's a song I saw on Facebook. I wish I knew the lyrics exactly. There was a song, and there was this group of people singing, and it was, the, the lyrics was around. They said, how can you say that you know the captain when you can't withstand the waves? When you know who's the captain of your ship. You remember the story when the disciples were on the ship with Jesus? Jesus was sleeping. He was chilling. And so when they came to him, this, Jesus, don't you see the storm is going on? You chilling? He says, oh, ye of little faith. We're on the boat. We know the captain. We, we hear it all the time. This dude's never lost. He's never failed. We hear it. God never fails. We sing songs, God never fails. But when we walk around in our lives, we act as if we got a God that has a possibility of failing. I understand the meaning behind the lyric of, you know, he's never failed me yet in the song. I understand when they say yet. They're not given an option that he's going to fail, although some people may have problems with the song. But we, some of us live as if that yet means that there's a chance that he might fail. Let me tell you this, Netflix is going to succeed. I'm not talking about the real company anymore. You know me with analogies. I'm going to use it. I'm going to ride that analogy all, all to it. But let me let you know that this CEO or this company that we have an investment with in as believers will never fail. So as trials, as tribulations hit us in this earth, our knowledge of knowing where we're going to is going to allow us to keep us with what we're going through. That's what holds us. It's not this fake thinking of, yo, I got to smile. I have to, oh my gosh, they told me to keep joy. I got to come and smile. If I come, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. When you know you got issues. Guess what? Sometimes you got to be real. Yo, I'm going through issues. But guess what? Not because of you're trained to say it, but when you truthfully stay on the truth of God's word, you know that you know that he's got me. That's, that's the assurance. That's the, that's the evidence of things hoped for. That's the substance, you know, substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. It is a tangible evidence. It's not some fairy tale up in the air thing that you just, um, you know, I've been told this and, you know, I'm supposed to have this evidence of things not seen. And substance. It's a real substance. If you, if you believe God is real, then faith is real. It's tangible. You can touch it. It's not this fairy tale in the air type of thing. Oh, yeah, you know, everything's going to be good. No, no, no. You know that you know everything will be good because you serve a God who is good. You know that the word is true and it says for all things work together for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. See, that's the hard part is that it's according to his purpose. But guess what? You know the God whose purpose it is. And so you stand flat footed knowing that it will work together for your good no matter what it looks like now. That's how we walk by faith and not by sight. I went too much on that rabbit trail a little bit. But it was good. Um, Verse 18, it says, So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is unseen is eternal. The seen and unseen is not simply talking about the natural versus the spiritual, but the what is and the what is to come. The present reality is what's seen. Our future glory and the resurrection is unseen because it has not yet come. We get through what we're going through when we remember where we're going to. Chapter 5, um, verses 1 through 5. 
For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we grow in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven. Since we are clothed, but clothed, we will not be found naked. Verse 4, indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us a spirit as a down payment. Paul refers to this body as a tent because it's a temporary dwelling as we await the building from God. Imagine your dream house is being built, but in the meantime, you had to live in a tent or a hotel until it was done. This is how a believer who understands the plans of the Lord feels. This is why we cry out, Maranatha, Christ come back. Because imagine like, you know, somebody's building a dream house, but in the meantime, while they're building this house, you have to live in a tent out in the lawn or whatever, wherever it is. Believe me, when the rain comes and the cold comes, it's hard. But all you got to fixate in your mind is that the house is being built. You know with assurance that the house is being built. And there's going to come a time you're going to shed this tent and you're going to go into your house. This is why we cry out Maranatha. We groan for our mansion as we sleep in these tents with their flaws. Second, Second Peter, verse 1 through 14. Go there with me. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. And it reads, I consider it right as long as I am in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder, knowing that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has also shown me. So you see, Peter uses the same analogy, that we're in a tent now. But guess what? You know, uh, I think truth, truth has a, uh, the resurrection. I'm homesick. I'm homesick. This bodily tent. I forgot the lyrics. But yeah, I forgot the lyrics. Heaven's where home is. So I guess it's safe to say that life, God's people are home, homesick. So pretty much I, I, the gist of it, I messed it all up. So hopefully if he listens to this, I'm sorry, Manny. But, um, but our, our mindset is this is just a tent. Jesus has promised me. He says, I go where I go. I go to prepare a house for you. Where I go, you cannot go with me now, but one day you will. If you believe that Jesus' word is true, then you know that your dream house is being built. So listen, withstand the troubles in your tent now, but keep in your mind the house that you, the building. And look, even in, in chapter 5, uh, uh, um, Paul, Paul uses this, this uh, contrast. For in verse 1 he says, For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God. Meaning God is setting up this building while we are still in our tents. So that's, our, that's, the, that's what our, mind, our mindset should be. Verse 5 shows that the one behind it all is God. In verse 5 where it says, And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So you know that you're not waiting on any man, you're not waiting on any person, but the person behind it all is God. And so that's all, honestly, that's all Paul has to say. Because now when you understand who God is, once he tells you that the person behind it is God, oh, all right, I got it. You know, I'm saying like, you know, I'm about to do a play or two on, well, given yesterday's example, it's probably not that great. But if I said, you know, we're about to play on two on two, I'm like, yo, listen, I got like $300 on this game. Like, yo, you crazy? You don't put $300? Oh, no, Brian's my teammate. Oh, you're good. But then again, he might mess up his leg like he did yesterday. But anyway, no jokes. I heard it. But yeah. But like if I had LeBron James, yeah, it was, it was shots. But if I had like LeBron James, like for instance, let's use another example. If I said, you know, yo, I have $300. Like, Alan, you crazy. Why would you put $300 on it? Yo, LeBron James is my partner. Oh, all 
All right, you're good. It's almost it's the same way that Paul is saying, listen, but the one who's behind all this is God. Oh, okay. You know what? All my worries, all my doubts is gone. If you say God is the one behind it, he's going to handle it. He's good. I got confidence in him. And so we have to get to a point where we have confidence in God. And we're not going to wake up one morning and just have confidence in God. We have to work this thing. And the best way, and this is why I wish I had my physical Bible, but you have to get in your word. Yo, I don't know how much I could say this. The only way you could know God is through his word. Like the, the best way I could say. The best way to know God is the primary way to know God is through his word. We can't sit here and say, oh, yo, you know, because of this situation in my life and this situation in my life, that's where I base my knowledge of God. No, 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 no. Those are glimpses. But this gives you the full picture, well, the full picture as much as we can comprehend of God. We can't say we're believers and we have no uh, uh, time that we're getting into the scriptures where we get to know this God. One of our, our major, um, you know, mission statement or purpose statement is one, the first part is knowing God and knowing God through his scriptures, through his word. And believe me, if y'all know PD, PD says it way more than I do right now. And this is something that I'm just echoing. Well, necessary, but, but it's true. We have to get into this word. So that way when Paul can say something like the one behind it is God, we can be like those people that say, oh, I get what you mean. This is, this is on point. But if we're not building ourselves on the knowledge of God, even when he says God, it's like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, you know, because then we're going back to experiences where things didn't work out the way we wanted to. But we don't understand, again, through his scriptures, that everything, that all things will work together for the good. So even in the midst, and we understand that the God behind the purpose, even through those trials that didn't go through the way that we wanted them to go through, we're still confident in the God because he know that his hand is through it all. So now when we have knowledge of God, Paul can make a simple statement as the one behind it is God, and we're, 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 we're satisfied. But we have to get to notice God. So he says, this is a, um, uh, God never intended us, for us to live our lives in temporary bodies. His original creation of Adam and Eve were of ones with eternal bodies. They failed his test of obedience in the garden. Praise be to God that the second Adam passed the test of obedience and we have the promise of eternal bodies once again. Not only that, but we have the spirit as a down payment of that. Because of the spirit, we, have, we can have a taste of what is to come. So in talking about the leading of the spirit and the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about, the, 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 the spirit is a down payment to give us a taste, a glimpse of what's to come. It's just, just a glimpse. Because even though the spirit is with us, we still don't have the full effect of what it really means to be in the presence of God yet. Uh, verse 6. We're almost done. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Paul understood that to be present, be in this present body is to be physically away from God. This doesn't mean that God is absent in our lives, as we've just said that the Spirit has been given to us. But the ministry of the Spirit in his present life is just a glimpse of what is to come. His presence doesn't take away the pain and suffering we go through. He actually groans with us. Romans 8, verse 26. I'm going to pull a PD. Y'all don't believe me. Romans, turn to me to Romans 8, 8 verse 26. <laughs> 8, verse 26. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. So although we have the spirit, we still go through suffering. And the spirit is here to groan with us, to pray for those things that we know not to pray for. So what he's saying is it's a down payment, but it's not the full thing. Verse 7, and we, and we come into a close. 
So now we hit the verse 7. For, for we walk by faith and not by sight. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is being assured of and the looking forward to the realization of God's promises. What we see now doesn't affect us, nor does it identify us. There is something beyond our present situation that is far more important than our now. So faith is based off the knowledge, the tangible, the solid faith, the solid knowledge of our God. And because of that platform that we can now stand on, we now have faith. It's not just making up stuff or faking till you make it, but it's based off of what you know about your God that you can stand flat-footed in the midst of your trials and your tribulations and walk by faith and not by sight. Are you with me? All right, so a couple of um, takeaways. How does one walk, who walks by faith look? Because um, this is one of those things that you could just take it like, oh, okay, all right, we walk by faith, all right, have a great Sunday, let's move on and not know how to apply it. But what characteristics of one who walks by faith, number one, the word governs their world. Are you with me? It goes back. In order for the word to govern your world, you have to know the word that governs your world. So you have to know the very thing that gives you assurance in the midst of trials why you should still have joy. It gives you assurance why you should not be one in despair, although you're perplexed. It gives assurance that although you've been struck down, you have not been destroyed. It's through knowing your word, it governs your, your view of the world. It, it changes the lens through which you see the world. So now you and somebody who doesn't know Christ could both be looking at the same event, but you would take from it something different from that person because that person has no anchor, has no foundation to go back on. So they're in despair. But although you may be perplexed right with them, you're not getting to that point of despair because you know the God that you believe in. Amen. Number two, present sufferings are easier to go through. Again, Romans 8, 18, for I present that my, that my present sufferings are nothing in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us. So although I may be going through suffering now, listen, it's not going to take over. And I'm going to be able to get through because I know the God that I serve. Number three is contentment. Let's go to Philippians 4. Um, let's visit there real quick. Um, Philippians 4.13 is a very uh, you know, familiar verse. You know, I, can do, I can do all things in Christ uh, that strengthens me. But I think sometimes, a lot of times, we, we take it out of context. Um, and it's great, you know, to apply, you know, when, you know, especially when people go off to college, you know, or when you're, you're embarking on a new endeavor in your life, that I can do all things to kind of assure you. But let's really see what Paul, what brought Paul to this point. The same way we just did with 5 verse 7. Let's see what brought Paul to this point. Um, starting from verse 10, Philippians 4 verse 10. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little, and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. So you see, it's not just, you know, I'm just able, but he's, he's getting from the point of whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing, I'm good. Whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm starving, I'm good. He's learned to be content. He says, I learned the secret to being content. And, and, and uh, I've read uh, an article where the Greek translation 
the verb to do is not in there. So if you really read it straight from the Greek, it says, I can all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it, it, the better, I would say the better translation would be, I can be all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can, I can be sustained in the midst of not having anything. I can be as one of abundance in the midst of not having anything material because I have everything I need in Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Um, so number three was um, a characteristic of being of one who walks by faith is contentment. And the last one is that the one who finds, uh, the one who walks by faith is one who finds joy in the midst of everything. I referenced the verse already, James 1, to consider it joy, my brothers, in, while you go through diverse trials. So one who walks by faith finds joy in the midst of the worst trouble. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that once the trouble hits you, you're going to be okay. Or, you know what? Look, you're real. You're, you're human. You have emotions. You, 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 you mourn. You cry. You're angry. But when you really center yourself and you understand the God that you serve, you find joy in the midst of your trials. So I, I pray that after today... Um, that when we talk about walking by faith and walking by sight and not by sight, that we understand that we're not even to even trust in those things to come. We're not even, although we, we pray for the promotion, although we pray for the financial blessing, although we pray for that, that thing that we've been praying for, I trust, we cannot say that that thing that we're walking by faith to is still something on this earth. Because guess what? That's going to pass away. That better life that we're looking for, the promotion, the, the, the bigger house, the car, whatever we need, even if it's a real need, it, that even that, whatever it is, is it, it makes sense to pray for it. We'll pray with you for it. But even that, we have to understand while we're praying for it, this is not the end all. So what Paul is saying is when you walk by faith, you're not walking to another earthly thing, but you're walking by faith, keeping in mind eternity and the eternal things. Are y'all with me? So when we talk about walk by faith and walk by sight, let's not limit it to, you know, that, that earthly thing, that, that temporary thing, that although it, is, it makes sense to pray for it because there's a need for it, but still our, that's not our God. Our walking by faith is trusting in the life that is to come. The, the, I, always, I, keep, I always come back to referencing it, but to remember that our best life is not now. Though by popular demand and in New York bestseller books, it's saying the otherwise, that I bet, you know, make your best life now. But there's no possibility as a believer for us to call that our life now to be the best because we're living for a life which is better than the one we're living now. So our best life is not the one now. Our best life is the one to come. And so when Paul is calling us to walk by faith and not by sight, he's saying to keep eternity in mind, knowing that whatever you go through in this earth, guess what? It's only for a time it's going to be gone. But the things that we should be investing in, the things that we should be focused on, are the eternal things, which are the things of heaven. Dear Lord, we thank you. We honor you and we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God we can be confident in. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who has no, uh, no losses in your column, Lord. We thank you, our God, who is undefeated. Um, unmatched, Lord, um, unshaken, unchanged, Lord, and that you are a God that when Paul can come and say that the one who's behind it all is God, we can say yay and amen because we know that the God that we serve is one that never fails. And so, Lord, when we go through our issues, when we go through our trials, when we go through our problems, when we're in need, Lord, we can walk by faith and not by sight, not letting the things that are happening around us, Lord, affect our vision. And we're not letting the things that are happening around us affect our, our, our destination. And our destination is nowhere on this earth. Our destination is with you. 
Lord, let us keep eternity in mind. Let us remember, just as, as PD has been saying, that we, we live in a body, but we are spirit. And so, Lord, let us, let us seek to feed our inner man, even while our outer body is wasting away. Let us seek to tend to the treasure inside the jars of clay, because the jars of clay one day will break and it will be destroyed. But the treasure that you have put in us is being renewed day by day. So, Lord, let our endeavors, let our plans, let, let, let our dreams and our hopes have the end all of giving you glory and have eternity in mind. Give us a heart that yearns for you. Let our hearts cry out Maranatha day in and day out, praying for your return. But while we are here, Lord, just like the blockbuster and the Netflix analogy, Lord, let us be good stewards here, Lord. Let us, let us tend to what you want us to tend. Let us have the same mindset of Paul that to live is Christ. But Lord, let us also keep in mind that to die is gain. That we're all looking forward to the day that we can be with our Father. The one that we pray to, Lord. Even now, I'm remembering my grandmother, Lord, who while he, she was praying to you, her life was taken on this earth. And so when she opened her eyes on that prayer, she saw the Father that she had been praying to and serving her whole life. Lord, let us all look forward to that experience. And the Father that we now, we close our eyes and we pray to, that one day we will open our eyes and we will see face to face. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we look forward to the day that we can see you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen.